everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy basketballs in full swing week. Happy uh, early signing period week. Happy, uh, happy Pac-12 fraud shop. week. Pac-12 is doing everything stupidly weak. Well, uh, new. Happy, 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 happy Mets are, are, are making moves week. Yes. Hopefully more moves by next week week. <laughs> happy, uh, you know, last kind of, not quite last second Christmas shopping, but getting there, especially with all concerns on deliveries week. So get that ha- all done. Happy Hanukkah for the, uh, for the happy Hanukkah. Out there. Yes, of course. Thank you. Um, what is it, the fourth or fifth night? I guess it'll be sixth by uh, the time that people are listening. Yeah. So, yes, hoping everyone uh, has had a, a great week of celebration. Uh, except for uh, the Boston College basketball fans out there, because, uh, oof. <laughs> shout out to the uh, shout out to the real BC heads. Um, because... so the, the, all, the, all the Beagles. Yes, all, I, I don't know how many, I don't know how many uh, diehard Hanukkah uh, uh, celebrating Boston College fans there are out there for myriad reasons but that, that, that um, section is very very small <laughs> um but yes uh a, a tough one on uh, on saturday for for the beagles out there <laughs> tough saturday um, for the gang man uh, yeah so uh bc <laughs> was down 18 at the half um and then syracuse decided now nah, we're, we're not going to do the syracuse thing we're going to do the other thing where we just keep pouring it on um su ended up winning 101 to 63 um first time to scored 101 points in regulation since like 08, um, I believe Matt Gutierrez uh, highlighted on Twitter. Um, we actually only saw one player hit 30 minutes uh, for Syracuse. That was Quincy Guerrier, which is great. Uh, we saw what six guys hit at least 20 minutes. Woody Newton had 15. Uh, Big Bobby Bobby 11. 11. Uh, we had what four players in double or five players in double figures. Alan Griffin led the way with 22. Uh, Gerard actually had a nice bounce back game, five to seven from three, ended up with 17 points. Uh, Buddy Beheim, his comeback game, 17 points on three of eight and three, but a nice and effective game from him inside the arc. Uh, Quincy Garrier, 14 points. Um, and then Mark Dolzhai, 10. Um, I know you and I talked about this last season. What I really liked um, from Buddy was, and this is something like Gerard doesn't do a ton of yet. Hopefully that comes with time is that Buddy, when his three is not falling, he drives the lane and finds ways to either draw a defender and kick out, or he finds a way to hit shots, um, you know, right around the, the, the free throw line. Um, he's not all that strong around the rim, but he can finish there. Um, but yeah, he, he still finds a way to, to, to get his points um, and, and get his confidence back up when it's just not landing from outside. It's huge uh, because obviously like, you know, but he's not the most athletic player. He's not going to like beat a lot of guys off the bounce, but when you have people like really furiously closing out on him, he can get that step on them. And he has a really effective, like 12 to 15 foot floater and jump mid range jumper. Um, and it's really big that he's not only reliant on that three point ball, because like we've seen, we had that stretch last year where he was a little cold. Um, obviously the stretch that he, he referenced uh, in this past week in reference to, to Joe's struggles that he had as a freshman where he was just like, he could not hit a shot for a while. And then he kind of broke out of that and was really effective by the end of his freshman year. But I think it's really impressive that he hasn't just leaned on his three point shooting ability, which is, you know, pretty elite nationally. Um, and I like if three of eight is like one of his, like, you know, that's like a below average game for him. And that's like a pretty solid game. Like he'll take that most times. Um, but the fact that he can get, uh, you know, 
take take a couple steps in, pull up a jumper, still force the defense to account for him there, and he's not just a guy who floats around the perimeter and and only does the one thing. Um, it's huge, and and like you said, hopefully it's the thing that that Joe, who's a different player, like Joe, I think is is more willing to attach the rim directly, uh, and he's still you know he has to get stronger and better at finishing there. But um, having those kind of guys, and also Alan Griffin, same thing. Like he's a a great three point shooter with sits of nine the other night, but he's he's will also attach the rim. He's super athletic. It's nice to have shooters who are not just one dimensional and who can still get some points um, when they're not hitting. Uh, so yeah, I mean this this obviously no one was really cold like. Who was who was the worst player from the floor for us uh, outside of like in the main rotation? Was it? I think it was Marek. Was only two for five, but Marek is just obviously <laughs> such a, a efficient player and sits for sits from the free throw line, does everything on the court. Um, yeah, it's, I, I think this was a, a nice sign. I don't expect to win that many games by forty plus points, but um, it was a really a, a nice to see. Or I guess it was thirty eight points. So that did BC some credit. It was not forty points. Um, it was nice to see a game where like the offense was so well rounded and everyone was clicking and there's just team is so, a lot of options, um, which is exciting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you caught Christian's piece today, um, kind of talking about like how SU kind of happened into an, an offense that like really effectively works, and part of that's because Buddy was out for a couple games and a couple other guys got uh, some time. Um, were able to kind of figure some things out offensively, and like it, it, it absolutely worked for them. I, I think you know this is something we've talked about for weeks. Like this team already looks significantly better than last year's, not because Elijah wasn't good enough, but because Elijah was the only offensive player who could consistently alter his game and, and, and score from a variety of places. Here you have Griffin, you have Gary A can actually you know hit jumpers. Um, now Dolajai can hit jumpers like Kadari Richmond when he gets time can actually hit jumpers like obviously like Buddy's able to hit from outside or in now I mean Buddy right now is our I mean he's only played a handful of games but uh, you know Buddy in two games averaging 19 points a game we have three guys averaging 16 or more with Gary A at 16.2 Griffin at 18.4 and Buddy at 19 like this is just a, a far more efficient offense and it's benefiting them on the defensive end now too because while it's not making up for maybe some some issues with, um, you know, the guard defense in particular in the zone, um, it is forcing worse shots because SU is able to run in a way that not a whole lot of teams can, uh, and, and it's forcing other teams to play games outside themselves. I mean, even Rutgers like played a game kind of outside of itself and just happened to do enough to win, but you're not going to see a lot of teams be able to do that. Yeah, I think this team is is going to give more opponents different looks than we've had in a while and we've been looking for this like we had the tiest teams and like at the end of the game everyone in the arena knew who was gonna have the shot last year elijah took on that mantle um this year we don't really have that guy and like obviously that may hurt us in the future like it's nice to have that guy but there's also something to be said for like if we get buddy open he's gonna take a shot if quincy uh gets that step and is so explosive towards the rim it could be him marek um knows what to do with the ball in his hands at all times i think Kadari like just looks great as a freshman Alan Griffin probably our most talented just pure store like I I think there's something to be said for like having four or five options on the court at all times um, in terms of like who will step up and make that play and not just being reliant on one guard to to like like you know do the the classic Tyus battle take the the dribble or maybe hit the step back or Elijah getting the pass and and doing his thing like those were awesome options to have but it did make us pretty one-dimensional at the end of a game we're here like 
if we have a if we have you know a couple of hot hands it's it's way harder to defend and then we also like you said have the the ability we're not just like that slow down offense this year we can get out and run a little bit we have aggressive players we have um you know a couple good ball handlers especially when you know if joe is playing within himself and then today off the bench um yeah, it's 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 definitely the most. I think it's the most exciting group we've had in a while, which is is nice. Like, I don't think it's. I don't think this is a great team yet. Obviously, the Rutgers game showed that. Although Rutgers, I think, is legit pretty good. Like, I that's not a fluke. I think they're they're a legit team. Um, they beat Maryland by by fourteen tonight. So, like, yeah, they're they're worth paying attention to for the rest of the year. I think I don't think that loss will look that bad. Um, but I think this, uh, especially with how the ACC looks this year, it wouldn't surprise me if Syracuse is in the midst for like top four or five spots. Yeah, I, I mean, realistically, and, and I'll hit on like one thing we were you were talking about, and then kind of get on to that other like part about you know how the season looks. Like I, I said it kind of during the game um, on Saturday, but like there's a lot of middling defenses in the ACC, and this Syracuse offense is going to be able to eat them alive more often than not, and that like has me much much more um, optimistic about what the season looks like. I think if you look at the schedule. Um, I mean, hopefully, you know, they beat Northeastern and Buffalo that gets them to six and one um, Notre Dame and Wake Forest uh, to, to kind of start the meet of ACC play should get them to uh, eight and one uh, before like, again, like we get to kind of like the bigger, bigger games, uh, but eight and one going into a potential road game against North Carolina and then a Florida state game. Like that's some good momentum and that could have this team ranked deserved or not. Uh, luckily those kind of UNC and Florida state games like could show us just how good this team really is. And maybe they need some more time, whatever it is. Um, but I, I, I think we're gaining some momentum toward what could be a better season than a lot of us thought. And that's just because, you know, you and I, and a lot of other realistic evaluators, of this team said, and even, even, even people like far above our pay grade said like, this team could be really interesting if, um, you know, shooters, like, like if the team def- improves defensively to some extent and we see you know more than a handful of shooters emerge um we're seeing that like this is easily the best team from a ball uh distribution standpoint um since probably tyler ennis uh and and that you know 13 14 team um this is just one of those like squads that no, they're not the warriors necessarily but you, you can see that there's ball movement there there's a collective way that they're playing they're obviously very comfortable with one another this is mostly a returning team um from last year and you know with all that passing i mean christian highlighted in that piece that i mentioned that you know su is like i think top 10 in the country in terms of uh uh like points assisted on so like th- this is a team that that completely understands how to play with one another in a way that i feel like last year's didn't for large stretches and and, and the fact that we moved away from iso ball again for the first time in like five years um at least is a uh, is a great sign that that this program is finally like not putting all the sanctions behind them and putting all the uh, struggles of most of the last half decade behind them, but is at least figuring something out toward looking like a more modern basketball team, despite the fact that they still have those Syracuse hallmarks of yesteryear. Yeah, I, I just think the offense is so much more interesting because there's also all these different approaches. Like a lot of the time we, we moved the ball through Dolajai and we did that a lot on, on Saturday and, and earlier in the year when we had like the full time minute players with buddy. Um, he's such an, he's probably, probably our best passer. I don't think that's super controversial to say. Um, although 
Richmond's vision looks pretty impressive for a guy that young. But like Marek operating from the top of the key and making you know great plays from the free throw line extended, and then you know you shift to another lineup and Richmond's in there and you move Gerard off ball and that gives us a bunch of different wrinkles. Or or then when Gerard's playing more of a pure point guard, um, which he did really effectively with the five assists, a uh, couple turnovers, but you know he's a he's a pretty kind of a risky player. Um, but like there are all these different looks that we can throw at you, and it's not just like the one guy dribble penetration offense or the drive and kick with battle and maybe one other shooter. So it's, uh, and then it's also really nice that, you know, we complained after the, the Bryant game um, of the limited minutes and like, even in the Rutgers game, like guys were getting out there, which is nice. Like we're, uh, we're seeing, I think a little more openness from Bayheim to play younger guys, even now that he has buddy back and he'll hopefully not totally sit on it once Barama's back. Um, but like even in that Rutgers game, you got a couple minutes from Braswell. You got Woody in there, who I'm really impressed with. Uh, he hasn't had a huge role yet, but has that smoothness, um, that kind of a uh, you know. We all compared him to CJ Fair when he signed, and he you know doesn't quite look like the same player, but like he has some of those same like gliding, smooth, instinctual uh, things that CJ had really early on in his career. Um, John Ball is playing more minutes than I think any of it expected. And then we had like obviously we cleared the bench out and played all the centers and everybody uh, against uh, BC, but um, it does seem like we're at least kind of committing to trying to get the, everyone. In, and I think Richmond Newton will be in the rotation all year. I, I just don't think you can afford to not play them. Yeah, I agree. I think Newton in particular has really come on and surprised um, in the limited minutes he's had. Um, obviously I think Richmond we've talked about already as like somebody who should help potentially prevent these breakdowns at the guard position because he's able to plug in um, either in Gerard or in uh, in Buddy's spot. I, I, I think for for me, like it does seem interesting that like I don't know if Jim took all the quarantine time um, to watch like old Warriors highlights, um, if he played a lot of two K, uh, w- w- whatever he did for, for for the for the lineup permutations. Like th- th- this is very much the type of thing that like we've been joking about for years. And once we knew what Buddy could do from outside uh, the arc, um, once we knew what Gerard could do from outside the arc, now that we know what Griffin can do, even Gary A can hit some shots from outside. Like they're not playing five out basketball, but they have the pieces to do it if they wanted to. Yeah. It's, there's just so many permutations, which it's exciting. And it's like, like you said, everyone can shoot. Like we haven't seen, um, not everyone. We haven't seen the center shoot. But um, and Marek hasn't really stepped out this year, even though like I, I've you know been waiting for it. Like I, I feel like that's destined to be part of his game. It just doesn't seem like it yet. But Quincy shooting, um, which last year was like a Bayheim, like just relish the ability to to just crap on Quincy for shooting. Oh, he, threes. He, he he savaged him for shooting threes over yeah, and I, over. I, yeah, over and over. And then he hit like what two or three in one game the other day. Yeah, I mean he's he. I think he's shooting the exact right amount. Like you cannot, he's shooting enough where you cannot leave him open there because he will knock him down. He's shooting forty percent on the year. Uh, actually, no, he's shooting thirty-five percent on the year. Forty-five uh, percent on the year. Sorry, I was looking at the home splits. Um, he's shooting like maybe two or three a night, but when you can't leave him guarded and you have to send someone out on him, that's when he gets those easy lanes. That's when he he spreads the defense. Like it's just really important that you can have at least at least three or four guys who can do that. And right now. Um, you know, things maybe will change when City Bay comes back. But I honestly, like, I kind of want to see this starting five just be the starting five. And then when you, when you want to go big, maybe put the, the center out there. And, and there will be some teams where obviously we want Barama to be able to, to to bang with the center inside. But 
I kind of like the smaller lineup, especially because Garrier is such an effective rebounder. Uh, Moret's such an effective rebounder. Griffin's a, a better rebounder than I thought he would be. Um, and even the darts have gotten better. Like I, I kind of like how this team looks. And then we hopefully can like implement Barama when he's back. Um, but I don't know that I would be super quick to like disrupt the the chemistry that the starting five that we have out there now is is uh, seems to be building on. Yeah, it's a tough call because I do feel like you know Jim is typically one to let guys for injury come back in, especially big men. But yeah, I I, I completely agree. Like no no knock on Sidibe necessarily. He's just a different type of player. He's a different type of player than than this team is currently running with. Like. Sure, there'll probably be a, a matchup where having his size in the middle is more suitable for what SU needs. But right now, like, you know, why, why, why skirt away from from what's what's clearly working? And you look up and down this ACC, like you kind of noted before. You know, no team ranked above fifteen or sixteen. Um, Florida State and Virginia look like at least the most like cohesive teams in the league so far. Um, we'll see on Louisville. Um, Duke and UNC have some problems to iron out. Clemson looks like a, a very promising squad. Um, so, like I was pretty high on the Tigers coming into the season. So were some others, but I know they were kind of, you know, picked to be in the middle of the pack along with us. Um, we don't really know what we're getting out of Miami. Um, I think Wake Forest and BC and Notre Dame continue to be bad. Pitt may also be bad. So like there's, there, there's enough on the schedule um, for SU to get their wins. Just like last year, the question is going to be what we can do. Um, in those like top two tiers um, of games. And, and again, I, I, like I said earlier, I do see us in much, much better shape um, this year. And I think much, much better shape with his current lineup uh, versus Sidibe. It's not that he's bad. It's just that he's a different type of player that facilitates a different type of offense. And, you know, what, I, I think that most basketball fans, just like most football fans, like, like once you go to an effective spread offense, you don't want to see anything else. I think once you go to an effective um, you know, kind of freewheeling, three-point shooting, faster-paced offense. Um, you don't really want to go back to what you saw before. Yeah, and, and there's no reason why we can't then, like, kind of integrate, um, like, more of the traditional center, especially because we have so many of them on the roster, like, into different things. I just think, like, if you can set the tone with the, like, really offense-heavy lineup and not give up too much, because it's not like there's that many dominant centers out there in general. We're not, you know, if we play Iowa, it's not going to be until the NCAA tournament um that like i would i don't know i like the look of of how this team sets the tone and then you know you go you go big for for portions you uh you kind of mix it up from there but also you know it, it adds it has fouls and we haven't really had that issue yet um in terms of like worrying about our center fouling out especially because marek and twincy have been pretty good about um not fouling overly uh inside i know marek like kind of towed the line with Rutgers, but ended up really playing an effect impressive not uh to not foul out in that game piece he got into kind of early foul trouble um but you know there's uh, at least it sounds like he'll be back in a couple weeks and we will have a ample amount of time to figure it out before the real crunch time games um but yeah even with the Rutgers loss like it feels like a while ago it was just less than a week ago like I, I definitely think there's more optimism now especially because you saw like what this team can look like firing at all cylinders not that bc is very good but um with the way that they were playing offense, I, I think it, it would be hard for a lot of like not elite teams to stop them. And there just aren't that many elite teams in college basketball this year. Like, and the ones that are like kind of weird, um, obviously Gonzaga is really good. Uh, and, and Iowa, it's great, but um, Duke is, is down. And like, who knows what the decision to kind of pull the rest of the non-conference slate is going to do. Um, obviously it's only a few games, but um, 
UNC looks kind of like a continuation of last year, and obviously we beat them at the end of last year. Uh, it's just like kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I think I, I'm very, very curious to see how this shakes out. Always am, but I think in particular this year, I, I'm curious to see how SU kind of adapts um, over time. Uh, Dan, why don't we talk a little bit of uh, beer here at halftime? So uh, what have you been drinking? I had my most uh, active weekend in a while. Uh, so for anyone who thought I've been slacking, you were probably right. And uh, we're back at it. Um, I had uh, a couple things. I had Laser Snake from Three Floyds, which I found out here, uh, which was solid. Also had a Vermont Haze from Zero Craft, Gravity Craft up there. And then on Sunday, I went to Evil Twin for the first time since the summer because uh, it was like 60 out. And I felt like that was a, a prudent move since who knows how many nice weekends we'll have uh, here until March. Um, tried a bunch of different stuff. I had there. Uh, how much cheese is even more cheese? Uh, fruit, uh, kind of a fruit pail. Um, super fruity, like a lot of their things are. Um, also had as the title notes, like a bit of a, like a, a cheese like aftertaste. It was kind of like a cheese puff pastry type uh, flavor profile for it. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, also had a fruit distana to seven. Another really uh, the cranberry tangerine vanilla and cocoa edition of that uh, fruit dis series from them. Um, which is also very fruit forward, and then had the uh, uh, what was it, the Great Northern Barrel Age series, uh, which is a really uh, boozy uh, stout. Uh, I think it was at like fourteen percent, but drank like a much more like kind of reasonable beer. Um, pretty dangerous considering how much uh, how high the alcohol profile was there. Um, also had another one that I forgot to save on untapped. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Um, I bought cans of the rice, rice, citrus potpourri, uh, which was really citrus heavy. So like evil twin, I think I like most of their stuff. I think occasionally they get a little aggressive with like the, the concepts they're going for, um, and can get like, uh, they can kind of do a little over the top with them. It's, it's definitely, it's pretty good, but not like, I don't know. I wish it was a little more, uh, of like a typical beer. Uh, but still very drinkable. And then the, their, their pear cobbler, uh, I, which was like a, definitely like a kind of fall, wintry, uh, really spice-heavy uh, brown ale, um, which I enjoyed as well. So nice nice weekend over at Evil Twin. Uh, hopefully we'll get down there again, although you know this is probably the, the peak time for outdoor seating for the rest of the year for us. So it was nice to be able to spend a few hours down there. And then today, I'm back in Connecticut for a few days. Um, had the rest of the Road to Ruin double IPA that I was drinking for Thanksgiving, uh, which I saved myself a couple bottles of. So, solid weekend for me. Damn. Nicely done. Um, yeah, on my end, I had uh, from Beachwood down to Long Beach, had a Hopernicus uh, double IPA. It was their fourth anniversary beer. Um, and then I actually forgot that, and then I, I looked it up later. Um, so, really, really good beer there. Um, I had a New England double IPA from uh, Modern Times. It was Diamond Drive. Uh, that was really good. I wasn't too bitter. It wasn't too acidic. Um, also, Society Brewing down in San Diego uh, started canning a few of their uh, options. So I had the Harlot uh, from them. It was a Belgian Blonde that was very good. Um, from Dry River, had uh, First Contact. It was a uh, sour from them. And then from Celador, um, had uh, Clockworks, a, uh, a farmhouse ale, uh, fruited. So not a ton of stuff, but some stuff nonetheless. It was definitely a, uh, a, a relaxing weekend, I guess. And I'm, I'm pretty stocked up here with, uh, with a bunch of sours, some barrel-aged stuff. Um, so I, I'm pretty set 
for the time being. But I, uh, I might have to get a few more darker beers since it is getting a little uh, chilly for Southern California here. I've definitely, I don't know if there's just been like a rash of like better ones, but I've definitely found myself getting a lot more into stouts uh, the last couple of winters than I had been before. It might just be my flavor, my, my kind of taste changing as well. But um, I feel like there've been a bunch that are like really nice and complex and like just blend a lot of different flavors and styles in. Um, and I don't know. It could just be my, my taste evolving, but I, I've definitely found myself drinking a lot more stouts recently. There's some really good stouts around here. Um that I have pretty regularly. Uh, I mean, just like a standard one that I mentioned here before is uh, Smog City's Coffee Porter. That is uh, like, to me, one of the like gold standard, like you can find it anywhere, beers um, brewed in LA. But yeah, there's there's so many more out there and there's so many breweries like differentiating themselves with like really interesting uh, stouts and porters now. Which is nice. Definitely mixes it up. And then winter, they're obviously like, you know, they're perfect. Totally. Um, Dan, I want to close out kind of here talking about 2021 recruiting it is uh early signing period starts on the 16th goes and think until the 18th um but everybody pretty much signs on the first day um and this basically replaces uh national signing day although national signing day still happens there's still kids that sign then uh, but th- this has become like the de facto this is where your class gets molded um and, and, and you dictate whether or not a guy is going to sign with you unless they actively say I'm signing with you in February. Um, SU is 21 kids uh, currently um, locked in, well, committed anyway. 20, uh, 20 of them are going to uh, sign on Wednesday. And the only one that's not going to was, I believe, Jalen Moss, um, who is a uh, cousin of Chandler and Arthur Jones. And I'm sure SU's... Um, Graphics department is going to have something fun in store um, as they have for the last few years. Um, what are the actually, Dino nicknames, Dylan? The, the Dino nicknames that, that that I always have us put in the uh, in the in the uh, articles announcing the the signings. Uh, Dan, I, I I know you have other things to cover, um, but but how, how much are you like enjoying slash dreading early signing period on Wednesday? Um, so I've weird feel like. A, I think it's it's it's. I'm glad they've put it together. I think it's good for um, both sides of the equation. Um, I think that there's a lot of players who are just very happy to get it over with, and like the ones who, you know, are tired of getting uh, like attempts from other coaches to poach them, and like who just are dead set on their stools. I think it's nice to be able for them to be able to lock in early. Um, from a fan and a a coverage perspective, I kind of miss the 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 craziness of the old signing days, to be honest. Um, there was something too, just like there was always some unpredictable stuff uh, that happened, and we have a lot less of that. And I think that might also just be a uh, part of it's just like there's just so much more information now, and recruiting is so much more digital, and and just a lot goes into like the process that like guys don't need as much time. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of I think it's definitely a positive, but part of me wishes like we still had the the, the drama of the old Sunday day, which the early Sunday period really doesn't have. Like you, you there are a couple surprises here and there um, on a national level, but pretty much like you kind of know what your class is going to look like at this point. There are, there are fewer, there are fewer high profile, like last second flips and last second um, decisions. Like there's always a handful of guys who wait just for the spotlight of like doing it at the uh, army all American game and like a couple other events leading up to the February signing period. And then you'll have like maybe a handful of big guys on the signing on the national signing day in February. But it's definitely a much different uh, experience than it was in like 
the early 2000s early or uh, late 2000s early 2010s um but overall like i i you know i feel good about this group i think it's uh it reminds me of the 2018 group a little bit in terms of like just a lot more guys who had serious interest from bigger schools i think the the breakdown uh, in positions is is pretty good uh in terms of like what we need um i think justin lampson's the most exciting high school quarterback recruit we've gotten in a while um and obviously there's still you know potential in the transfer market with like garrett trader and some other guys um so yeah i think this uh this should be a fun group i'm excited to be um, the rollout of uh, all of Syracuse's stuff because they always do a really nice job with it. Um, however, their their like theme is for the year, um, so that kind of stuff's always fun too. Like all the schools have really ramped up like the the uh, the kind of showmanship of it, and I think that part is is kind of fun. Like you, everyone always has like their own unique theme or their own uh, kind of like path they go down. Um, so yeah, it's just different than it used to be, and and there are there are positives and negatives, but I think. For the players and for the schools, I think overall having the signing period is definitely an improvement in terms of like fairness and opportunity and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think all that's that's reasonable. I uh, I'm glad you mentioned Justin Lampson. He's one of our better recruits in this class, as you said. He's really one of our better uh, quarterback recruits in a while. Um, a while being Tommy DeVito um, back in 2017, six three two ten from El Dorado Hills, California. Definitely seems like a great get. He's kind of like emerged, at least from coverage, um, as the uh, like kind of one of the de facto leaders of this class, um, despite the fact that he committed a little bit, not like later, later, but later than a bunch of these guys. Um, he's really kind of like taken ownership. And I think that's always a good sign um, for guys. I mean, DeVito was too. So take, maybe take it with a grain of salt. But um, I think L- Lamson is, is is somebody who we're excited about. The fact that he wasn't such a late ad comparatively to like the last couple um, years and and uh, quarterback decisions, I think is great. Um, no knock on those guys. I just think that realistically, like, you know, Summers was a January, like a late January ad, like right before signing day. Um, Markowitz and Morgan were both January ads. Um, and then uh, Chance Amy was a signing day flip um, a few years back, and he ended up transferring out after a year. So hoping that, uh, that Lampson uh, changes our luck there. Um, as you mentioned, pretty good uh, breakdown position-wise. Uh, six on the D-line, uh, Terry Lockett, Hayden Nelson, Jalen Moss, Derek McDonald, Jaddy Skier, uh, Elijah Fuentes. Uh, on the O-line, we got five. Again, problem area. <laughs> Glad we're loading up. Uh, Austin Cowie, uh, Wes Ho, uh, Kalen Ellis, uh, Tyler Magnuson, and Enrique Cruz. Enrique Cruz being the highest rated of those guys. Uh, we do have three wide receivers. We have one running back, uh, one tight end. Tight end. Our recruiting strategy there confuses me because we're using them more for blocking, but we're recruiting guys that catch footballs. Um, two linebackers, which maybe I go, I would have gone for one more. Um, and then Malcolm Falk and Deuce Chestnut. Deuce being the uh, top-rated recruit per the 24-7 uh, composite right now um, in this class. Uh, they're ranked 52nd last I looked yesterday. Uh, so bummer that they fell out of the top 50. I don't know if they're going to be able to jump back into it just because I don't see any high profile like flips necessarily. Uh, William Wells is the main high school recruit that we're still waiting on. He's a corner from West Palm beach, uh, 6'2", 180 pounds, uh, definitely kind of fits the mold of a lot of these guys who can kind of play flex positions in a three, three, five. Um, he's got Utah, Washington state offers, um, plus like some of the G five, uh, Florida schools, uh, Calvin Johnson, um, is the other guy, uh, kind of on the list. He used to be a two star and now he's a three star, um, commit to Navy, but uh, he has a slew of P5 offers. So I feel like probably end up going to one of those other schools, but you never know. Um, and then SU is also in the mix with a bunch of JUCO guys. 
um, especially on the line, some transfers. I know you mentioned uh, Garrett Schrader, uh, Tyran Hunt, um, who some might remember as an SU target on the offensive line a couple of years ago, uh, was at Maryland. Now he's transferring out. So in, in, in general, like I, I have, I have high hopes that we are able to fix some of the things, but I, I think my wish list, um, along with obviously, you know, the, the 21 guys that we end up getting here, um, would be, uh, Jugo or preferably, um, like P5 starter level guys on the D line, O line, at least one, um, a quarterback who can at least challenge DeVito, uh, to some extent. And then like a wide receiver, who's at least a little bit bigger with some experience, um, and can play outside. Cause I don't think we, we, we don't have a proven option there, even if we have some potential, uh, players who could fit that role. Yeah. I think that's a good list. And that's pretty much what I would say. Like, I think you take Schrader if he wants to come, whether or not he wins the job, like DeVito, make DeVito order it. I think that's more than fair. Um, and even if not, even if Schrader doesn't win it, like, you know, there's a chance that, that down the road he would still might, um, cause he has like three years left, I think. Um, and then offensive line, like I will take all the offensive linemen who you think can potentially play like B level power five football. Give, give, I, I'll take five of them. Don't care. Just like, Anything you can do to fix this offensive line before next year, I think you have to do it. Um, I'm happy we're taking five five freshmen. Um, I think you just need to find bodies there. Like, and and at a certain point, it's like kind of a numbers game, and you don't want to like overdo it. But the more the more people you take in those positions, the more you're going to hit on guys. Like, you're not going to strike. You hopefully strike out completely. Um, so yeah, I think that's just been like we've you know, talked about endlessly. The biggest issue of the five years, I think, is in the offensive line. Um, time will tell if we make a staff change there, but just the the more the more potential guys that you can bring in, who like even if it's a coin flip, like you just need to hit on on five of them at in, at some level, whether it's people on the roster or grad transfers, uh, JUCOs doesn't matter to me. Like we just need. We just need people to step in there and play effective football. So yeah, that, like immediately that's, that's too, huge. which is the yeah. biggest part. Like, because realistically, even a good offensive lineman, there's not a whole lot of like true freshmen who can be plugged in to a P5 program and it's, and, and and be like very very good, especially like at our level of recruiting. Like, it's just not likely. No, I mean, there's there's very few that start. Um, even their second years, like the best offensive linemen maybe step in uh, as starters, like as redshirt freshmen. Um, and ideally that's where you get to where you can like redshirt your whole offensive line group and, and not have to worry about kind of mitts and matching. Um, so yeah, I think the more Juco and potential transfer guys you can, like it's, it shouldn't be though. Like, Hey, if you're, if you're decent, you can step in and start for an ACC team. And like, we are, we should be selling that as much as possible. So that's the biggest need. I think, like, honestly, the offensive line might make or break Dino's whole tenure next year. Like, I don't think that's unfair um, based on how things have gone the last two years. And then defensive line, you can always use use depth. Like, we've seen the effectiveness of of having, like, a bunch of different guys you can slot in there. Um, even when you've lost, like, some NFL talent, like, the defensive line has been really solid the last couple of years. And I think um, the more interesting players you can plug in and rotate and keep, keep guys fresh, that's always big. Um so yeah, so similar wish list. And then wide receiver, you could again, we've had a lot of luck with transfer wide receivers. And Dino, I think, knows uh Dino and his staff are going to coach that position up really well. So I'll take any any talented guys who want to come to have a thousand yards, like come come on down. Yeah, it's been it's it's been a... well, I know Jackson had one last year. I think he barely got over the thousand yard mark. Um but we yeah, did... and Tom, I think Tom would have if if we had a normal schedule, yeah. I think he would have 
I, I think it's been a few years since we had like a guy like like I mean even Jackson last year I felt like he had a he had a good season historically by SU standards, um, but he didn't have like that eye popping necessarily season that I yeah. feel like we were churning out at first, like, you know, with what or Phillips and Steve Ishmael and Amo Tatawa were doing. Like, I'd like to get back to something like that. Um, I, I don't mind the fact that we're distributing the ball more. That's great. Um, but, but I also would like to see like one game changing receiver that also opens up opportunities for everybody else. Um, Taj is a very good receiver. Um, but I don't think he's that guy necessarily um, just because of the type of routes he was running. A couple of things on recruiting. Like I, I think this is a good, interesting class and a good class. Um, I mentioned the tight end stuff. I am curious about that strategy. Um, just all the tight end strategy is just. Yeah, just the whole thing. It's just, uh, it's bizarre. Um, I'm glad. Obviously, uh, Hack, the Hackett transfer is official, right? I know there was like some kind of back and forth, but he's he's on his way out. Hackett's official. Uh, Black is the one that that it was reported, and then yes, and then Black said, um, "Yeah, nope, not going." So, uh, which I'm happy about. Yeah, having he, John yeah. Back is big. Um, he, he, hopefully, he, with he, even having service is is good. As much as like, I hope he doesn't start. No offense, um, but even having service he back he is a, good. If service starts, like hopefully, it's because he's taken a huge step up, right. and not that like he's just the only guy, <laughs> like. Um, I appreciate, you know, I think it's, it's bringing back sits to the year seniors is a good problem. Um, service has been like really shoddy the last couple of years. Um, obviously he could just, you know, being an older guy in the system for so long, he could take a bit step forward next year, but we need to put ourselves in, put ourselves in the position to like, not have to rely on that. Um, and, uh, just, you know, blackback is huge. Um, Hackett, like, I don't love losing him, but we weren't using tight ends uh, the way that we all hope we would. So, well, we I mean, yeah, I mean, hopefully, if anything, it, like, we then just focus on, like, getting Luke Benson the ball all the time. That'd be fine to me. I mean, between Benson, you know, obviously, uh, Stephen Mahar um, is in there. Uh, Maximilian Mang is, like, a huge human being. Yeah. At, like, 6'7", um, is in there. I, I think... Interestingly, like the one, like obviously you you can you can add good weight uh, once you're in college. Uh, the one guy who's like ready to go though in terms of size, I think it's Kalen Ellis, um, six five three fifty, um, out of uh, out of Honolulu, had offers from UCLA, UVA, San Diego State, Hawaii. Like I'm really excited to see him in action because like I just feel like SU in particular, there's so few guys that come in at that like ready to start weight, and and, and he does move really well. Um, already from from the tape that I've seen, so I, I I think that I'd like to see us. I mean, I, again, I know it's easier said than done. I'd like to see us more recruiting guys who are a little bit closer to to where they need to be. But at the same time, like if we're recruiting better overall and able to redshirt, you know, maybe five guys across the line um, for a year before they start, you know, getting into a rotation, like then then I I think that works out. On the defensive line, I'm a little curious about. I like I think these are good players. I would I'm would I'm questioning not like seriously questioning more just wondering we saw last year that like guys who were more about who were more geared towards tackles for losses um and like aggressive bull rushing and pass rushing like those are the type of guys that like didn't necessarily work as well in a three three five um you really need guys who can kind of just like stuff the line and hold their ground and allow the linebackers to make plays so for me i'm curious it does seem like we're we still haven't necessarily aligned the D line recruiting to match the scheme, but I'm also not a coach. So keep in mind that like, I could be completely wrong there. Yeah. I mean, it, we also probably didn't like, 
you know, when this class was starting was probably before we even knew we were going to the three 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 five for sure. Like I'm sure Dean had an idea, but like Tony White was hired. Um, I mean, I obviously he was a little later, and we we knew we knew going into last year where we were going to make this move systematically. But um, the recruiting on these guys starts a lot earlier, so like next year's class is probably the one. Um, assuming Dino is like you know moving forward as if he'll be here, which you know as he should. Um, next year's class will probably reflect that a lot more in terms of like fitting the scheme. This year, like you're kind of far down the road with everyone, so making like a major shift in terms of you know these are the kinds of players that we're going to recruit is a little tougher uh, to to do so like right before all junior days and everything because you 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 know it's hard to establish those connections and those relationships that late in the game all the time. Um, and even so, like, I think White did a really good job of creating, like, installing this defense in, like, the hardest possible conditions to install a defense in, and then fitting the steam to the players as much as he could while still playing, like, a really different kind of style of defensive football. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty bullish overall on, like, that whole job. I think he'll, he'll do the best he can with the guys we're bringing in. So I'm not as worried about that. Yeah, I, I think that's a completely fair point. Um, and I guess uh, I guess the last question is we're wrapping up here. Like, is, is there one guy in particular in this class that you're like really excited to see on the field, like ASAP? Uh, ooh, ASAP. It's interesting. Um, it's tough. I think like some of the best guys. Obviously, like we don't expect Lamps into play uh, right away. Um, I, th- I wonder if I got like Gadzen, uh, uh, the receiver out of Fort Lauderdale, who's like sits four, kind of maybe fills that outside spot that you were talking about. Like, I wonder if he's a guy. I know we've had trouble with getting some of these wide receivers on the field right away, especially like some of the, the better ones we've had, but he's done that a really nice offer sheet. Um, and like has that size, uh, who looks like he could be like a legit flanker and, you know, we can always use more receivers. I wonder if he'll have a potential, uh, early role here. NFL pedigree. Yeah. Definitely helps. Um, I, I think for me, the guys, I mean, should be no surprise. I think the guys do chestnut, um, just because he does seem like a a corner in the exact mold that like we saw aggressive play from, you know, Melifano, Garrett Williams, Trill Williams, uh, you know, Eric Coley, who's kind of playing, a, you know, part of the Rover role. Like he, he very much fits in with the current defense. Um, yeah. and, and, and not that I doubt the guys that are in there now, but I think that there's, there's definitely going to be some good competition next year. Um, we might, I mean, hopefully we don't lose Iffy, but we could. Uh, but even if we don't, I, I think that having him in the rotation and getting him some reps, I mean, could good again, just be huge. And, and, and I'd like to see, like, even if it doesn't happen in year one, uh, it would be great to see him get on the field a bit so that we can set up. I mean, maybe, maybe it's only four games so that he doesn't lose the red shirt next year, but I'd love to see some of him so that he can start getting into a rhythm and then maybe, you know, have like a Garrett Williams type takeoff. Um, you know, in, in his second season, it's certainly possible. I mean, we have a we have a five defensive back, uh, you know, by default. And I know it's like the rover can be a bunch of different things. We've seen a lot of different guys plug into that position, but you're playing so many defensive bats uh, just in standard downs, and then you throw in the fact that like more and more teams are going spread every year. Like you're going to see a lot of five and six defensive back situations anyway. Um, I think there's a fair fair bet that he'll he'll play at least a little bit. Um, and, and you know, if he's the best guy, like we saw this year, I don't think we expected Garrett Williams to be like an all-ACC type player in year one, and here we are. So, you know, best man goes in. I'm, I'm totally fine with that, even if, you know, it means he's only here for four years. But um, 
yeah, no, I think that's one of those positions where uh, all along this defense, like if you can play right away, like there'll be, there'll be snaps for you because keeping guys fresh and keeping, be able to rotate guys on and off the field is a huge advantage. Absolutely. And, and, and I think you're starting to see like, you know, Chestnut talked about it and talked about the legacy of like guys like Williams um, and guys like Cisco. And I think, you know, if he and Garrett Williams would join that list, like I, I, and we've said this a little bit here and there, like this defense is, is creating a bit of a system and, and, and a bit of a, like, you know, highlight real manufacturing like business um, in terms of defensive backs. And, and if you want to play that style of football, like it's appealing. Um, I know we are, I know we recently this week, uh, we made the top five for Travell Mullen, who uh, you may recall, uh, Trey Mullen um, on Clemson. He, uh, his brother, um, is a, again, a four-star defensive back. He uh, he is very interested in us apparently. So, I mean, it's it's it especially like Sisto's gonna probably be a first or second day pick. Um, Melifanu, hopefully he comes back. If he leaves, like I struggle to not see him being the mid round pick. Especially like Melifanu is one of those guys where like you watch it aims and he looks really good, and then you look at the, the numbers, all the advanced numbers that you see look really good. Like I think obviously PFF, not the be all end all, but. Um, like that grades him out as like one of the like I think top twelve corners in the league in in college football. Maybe it might have changed like over this past week, but I checked maybe a week ago, and he I think he was number eleven in uh, in the FBS. Um, so like it's just one of those things where like the eye test and the numbers match up, and at some point like the NFL will also like follow suit. It's like he's on a, he's on a whenever he goes, he's going to probably look really good at the combine. He's an athletic player. He's a smart player. So. Like if you when you see this rolling and you see like all right well we just had a safety go in the late first round or early second round you had a cornerback go in the third round like guys pay attention to that probably more than anything else and then as long as the coaches are good about getting that information out there which uh, by all accounts they are like it's no it's no surprise that you're gonna start seeing cornerbacks uh, say like okay so I can play early and they know what they're doing uh, system wise and coaching wise I'm gonna be able to pick off a lot of passes maybe store touchdowns. And then the NFL draft will notice, like, I and it's power five ball. Like, it's it's not that hard an equation to, like, figure out. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like, Cisco is the guy that we know is going to be a first or second day pick. Um, what happens to Trill, I think, is going to be the super interesting one for me in terms of, like, how it's a selling point for Syracuse going forward. Because it's not that Trill didn't do anything, but Trill didn't start until this year. And, like, didn't really play a full season of, like, like meaningful minutes at all for Syracuse. And, yeah. and, and if he's able to turn himself into what could end up being, you know, a, a third to fifth round pick, like just based on a, a litany of highlights in that time, like that I think speaks volumes for, for the system and what Syracuse can do for you. I think Trill's an interesting one because he never had like that position that was definitely his, like he wasn't like a lockdown first corner he wasn't a safety like Sisto a ball hawk but he's so so athletic I think that's going to I think he'll really help himself with the combine assuming he gets an invite and then um just the big plays are there but also like he's he's not bad in those areas he just like didn't have the opportunity like we had cornerback kind of locked down so he didn't need to just be that guy um and I think his diversity of still sets and uh just ability to play all over the field plus I can see him being a killer special teams player which we know is super important to um to coaches especially when you're like kind of a fringe like fifth to seventh round guy which you know maybe he'll be um just be able to plug in as a as a, a special teamer both as a return guy and as a gunner 
is huge. So I think he'll he'll have enough going for him just because he has uh so many different like abilities and his I think his uh his measurements will really pop. I, I expect him to run really well, um assuming he's healthy. Uh and assuming this I don't know when the time will be or what the time will look like this year because it's February's not that far off. But um yeah, if we have like two defensive bats Doe in the draft and like Sisto probably not really in the first round now um because there are other safeties who have risen up and it's not a huge safety class, but I think he'll be a second rounder. And even if he's a third rounder, like that's really good. You can sell that pretty easily. And then say Trilder's in the sixth or fifth, like that's, that's really impressive. So uh, with, with Melifon on the way with Derek Williams on the way, like you're really starting to build momentum at those positions. And hopefully they just take advantage because again, this shouldn't be a, the, the hardest selling job in the world. It's just like, if the hardest thing you have to sell is like the weather, like you should be okay. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Dan, and anything else uh, before we depart? Um, any 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 hot takes about about the the next two SU basketball games? Uh, no, I mean I don't really know what to make of uh, Northeastern University was just added. Um, obviously, Bayheim wanted another game in there. I'm happy they were able to to find one. It'll be nice to have basketball on Wednesday afternoon. Nice way to end the workday. Um, Buffalo, obviously, uh, Nate Oates isn't there anymore. Uh, say what you will about him in general right now. Um, but they're two and two. I don't think this is like, this isn't that team that we faced a couple years ago with Massenburg that like murdered us. Um, I know they have some talented guys, but I, you know, I expect Syracuse to, to be okay there. So yeah, I'm just looking for more of what we saw from BC, uh, from the BC game. I want to see like really solid performances. Um, and overall, like, I think we've kind of moved past uh, the Bryant debacle. Uh, that kind of was what it was. You put that in a box like we talked about. Um, and since then, like Rutgers is a, 20 team we lost on the road uh without two starters by 10 to them and we've blown out everyone else so i think like you're starting to see like okay this team looks pretty good i think if we win the next two it's gonna be hard for us to not be in the uh in the rankings somewhere and then move on from there i, I the acc really doesn't scare me very much so i think there's a lot of uh, a lot of, to be excited about here yeah I, i'm definitely on board i i think too like even when buffalo is better like i'm fine with playing um a regional team like no them. i mean t- to be honest like we talked about a lot like when making the basketball schedules we really should have just been playing upstate teams or regional teams and everyone gets aboard the testing if you want to do like round robin stuff for a week in the terrier in syracuse and everyone just stays in the same hotel and you lock it down like that's how the non-conference schedule should have been everywhere this is everyone playing local teams on the same page all being tested and like you can avoid the you know creating little bubbles like that's really how we should have done this in general. Um, overall, like, I think Syracuse athletics, like if anyone's done a good job of handling this whole thing, like football, apparently uh, Baber said they had no tests, no positive tests the whole season, which is remarkable. Um, basketball, obviously we had the one walk on and that caused some issues, but like overall, it seems like Syracuse athletics is handling this about as well as anyone has. So they deserve to be commended for that. Um, I wish that, the larger college sports landscape was more creative in trying to figure out solutions here. But as far as Syracuse does, it does seem like they're, they've done a really, really nice job of trying to be as smart and as diligent, especially on the player side, because it's so easy for the players to just like not take it super seriously, be, you know, the, the young 20, you know, 19, 20 year olds that we all were and like go out to parties or anything. And it seems like the athletes have taken it really seriously. So good on them for that. And hopefully, uh, everyone comes out the other side and we can, you know, all actually take a sigh of relief after this. And, uh, but overall, I'm just like really proud of, of how uh, the, the SU athletes have, have dealt with this whole thing. Cause I don't know that like I would have dealt with it this well at their age. No, probably not. To be honest, if I'm thinking about my own uh, 
kind of 19 to 20 year old stretch. But uh, Dan, uh, it's been fun as always. Uh, So thanks for joining and uh, enjoy uh, early signing period. I will. Hopefully, you know, maybe we'll get some nice surprises. But if not, I'm I'm excited about this class overall. I think it'll it'll be another another good one. And hopefully uh, one to help stabilize the football program and we can get out of this like mini rut we've had last two years. Agreed, agreed. Uh, so that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train Unions and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, uh, Overcast, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.